about the body for many weeks uh, now. And um, just so you know, when I was on medical leave last summer is when I really felt God laying this uh, on my heart to be on this journey with us. We're going to continue the series to the end of July, and, and then we'll be moving on to something else. Um, we've talked for three weeks about the body and marriage. We talked last week, Kevin Rognes did a great job talking about the, the body and singleness. And in light of those things and in light of where we're headed in July, I thought it would be appropriate and important to talk about the body and divorce. All right, so that's our topic today. We're going to be looking at two different passages from the Gospel of Matthew. And so I'm going to ask you to turn there, if you would, in the Bible you have in front of you or the Bible on your phone. And when you get there, I'm going to ask you to stand and I will read these words. We do so, we stand out of reverence for God and His Word. And before I read it, I'm going to pray. Holy God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. Your Word gives us life in Christ. Help us see truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Verse 31, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And then if you turn to uh, Matthew 19, starting with verse 3. Some Pharisees came to test him, to test Jesus. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate." Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Let's stop there. Uh, you may be seated. Not a simple topic this morning, but it's a topic that resonates with everyone in the room, I think. I mean, if statistics are correct, over 50% of the adults in this room have either uh, been divorced or actually may one day be divorced, or you're the grandparent of children who have been divorced or are getting a divorce, or you are a child of divorced parents. And as many of you know, uh, I have experience divorce myself. For none of you is this an easy topic, but for all of us, it is good to review the biblical essentials within this topic, and this will be uh, a review for some new to some others. And I'm going to give credit again. Uh, much of what I'm going to say comes from the teaching of Pastor Tim Keller, is, who is a pastor I greatly admire. I think it best to focus for us today on the second passage. Uh, it gives Jesus longest counsel on this particular topic. 
These, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they come to Jesus and they ask a question about divorce and he says, well, uh, before we get there, let's first talk about marriage and that will be our tactic today as well. Let's start here. Marriage is instituted by God, regulated by his commandments, which is very different than our culture, isn't it? I do a fair amount of weddings. Pastor Shard is a fair amount of weddings. And often when I sit down with a couple, their fundamental presupposition, presupposition is uh, this marriage has been instituted by us and it's going to be regulated by us. Or this marriage has been instituted by us and it's going to be regulated uh, just kind of the way culture does stuff. But that is not the way of the scriptures. The Bible tells us God is actually the one who instituted marriage, and he did so in the beginning. In the passage, the Pharisees come to Jesus with a question about the law of Moses, the law of Moses being Torah, first five books of your Bible. But Jesus takes them all the way back to the very beginning's beginning, Genesis. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made the male and female? This is Jesus telling them that God is the one who instituted marriage, and what God institutes, God regulates. It makes sense. Marriage belongs actually not to us. It actually belongs to God. We are stewards of marriage. And because God instituted marriage and regulates it by his commandments, we have to enter into the regulations of the designer. It's like the design of a gun, right? Uh, a gun has a specific design, and if you don't submit to that design, you very likely will shoot a hole in yourself or people you love. Same is true with marriage. If you do not enter into its design, you will very likely shoot a hole in yourself and those you love. This being the case, what does God say about marriage? And then we'll talk about divorce. Well, let's talk about the essence of marriage. The essence of marriage is a covenant. What, what do I mean by essence? Well, the essence of something is its intrinsic nature or its indispensable quality. Uh, it would be a mistake, for example, to say the essence of a police officer is his uniform. Well, that doesn't make any sense because the essence, the, the uh, firefighter wears a uniform as well. That is not the intrinsic nature of a police officer any more than the essence of marriage is a tuxedo and a wedding dress. Of course not. Jesus says the essence of marriage is a covenant. And he goes back to Genesis. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, will become one body. Now, this oneness language, united, two becoming one, uh, Jesus' original listeners would have understood that language as covenant language. What is a covenant? A covenant is a public vow of absolute faithfulness and commitment. Then, and today, people make the mistake of thinking of marriage as a contract rather than a covenant. What's the diff difference between a contract and a covenant? Well, the point of a contract is to receive a service or a, a product in return for something else. There's a certain performance or commodity expected, and when the performance is done or the commodity received, the contract is over. 
The two parties in a contract also always remain separate, correct? In a covenant, though, two parties become one party. What's mine, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine in covenant. We have a covenant with God. What belongs to me actually doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. But also, all that God has given belongs to me as well. It's a beautiful thing, this covenant language. A covenant is sustained, uh, a covenant is not sustained by you give me something and I'll give you something. But rather, I surrender all of mine to you and you surrender all of yours to me in sickness and in health till death do us part. And thus, uh, a marriage covenant is not controlled by conditions of exchange. If you've ever said to your spouse or, or heard your spouse say to you, well, I'm not going to budge an inch until you, then you're living in a contract marriage. And you're not called to live in a contract marriage. Contracts do not need grace. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, contract doesn't need grace. You either do the job or you're not, or, or do, the jo- do the job or you don't. We either fulfill the contract or we don't fulfill the contract. If we don't fulfill the contract, we just tear it up. Covenants are sustained by grace. We remain one even though we each need grace, even even though I may not bat a thousand in the relationship. I need your grace, you need my grace to sustain the relationship. So the essence of marriage is this covenant, this oneness relationship to becoming one. Secondly, the significance of marriage is holiness. Whom did Jesus in Genesis say brought the man and the woman together? God. So they are no longer two, Jesus says, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Again, often we sit, when we begin marriages, we begin with this idea, we brought ourselves together. Or, isn't it wonderful, I found you and you found me? No. In Christian marriage, God is the one who brought the two together. Thus, the, the bringing together is holy. What does it mean to be holy? To be holy is to be set apart as sacred by God for God's purposes. A question to all the couples in the room do you see your marriage as something that is holy? It's kind of hard, you know, when you wake up and you look at each other in the morning and the hair's all messy and your breath stinks and, you know, this, this doesn't look very holy. <laughs> but holiness in your marriage is not necessarily something you feel. It's a truth you live in because the holiness is not, is not created by you. The holiness is created by God bringing the marriage together in the covenant. You've been set apart for sacred purpose, not by you, but by God. And that's what makes your marriage holy. Think about this. What if God designed marriage not to make you happy, but he actually designed marriage to make you holy? And what if you can't really truly understand what it is to be happy until you truly understand what it is to be set apart by God for a sacred purpose? See, marriage isn't going to work if 
your purpose in marriage is somehow self-actualization. It doesn't work. Because marriage cannot be, in its very nature, about you. If marriage is about you, then you wouldn't need a spouse. But marriage can be and should be about the Christ in you coming to life. And Christ in you comes to live as you learn what it is to love as Christ loves. And in so doing, we then bring glory to God and we point a sinful world to a God who loves and sustains a grace-filled covenant. So the significance of marriage is a holy vocation. Your marriage or the marriage you will one day have, God's design is that will be a holy marriage. It will be set apart for, sacred, for a sacred purpose. Jesus says, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, submit to one another. Why? So that you'll have a healthy marriage? No, submit to one another out of reverence for God. Your marriage is called to be holy. And the essence of your marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. It's a union of oneness that God has brought together. So that's, that's the essence and the significance of marriage. Let's talk about divorce now. In that context of covenant and holiness, we can accurately say that divorce is an amputation, which is a harsh word, but I think it's true. Here's some context that is important. When the Pharisees come to Jesus with this divorce question, they're being sneaky. (laughs) They're really coming, seeking to get his opinion on a particular debate among the rabbis at that time. So they ask, uh, quote, should a man be allowed to, to, to divorce his wife for just any reason? That for just any reason was in regards to this particular debate. And the debate was over a point in Torah, Deuteronomy 24.1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, sends her uh, from his house, etc. The, de- the debate at that time swirled around that word indecent. So they're looking for a loophole, essentially. What does it mean, this word indecent? So one school of rabbis believed a man could divorce a woman for just any indecency, just any reason. If she burned his dinner, if she did not give him a son, if uh, her hair was unbound in public, etc. Their interpretations were essentially looking to make divorce available for just any reason. Any, any indecency. The other school of thought was the minority. They believed the word indecent should only be interpreted as adultery. So the Pharisees were trying to, get, to back Jesus into a corner, essentially saying, what side of the debate are you on? Well, Jesus really doesn't have any of it. What he does is he takes them deeper than the law of Moses and goes all the way back to God's original intention for marriage. Look how he does it. And he said, this is from the New Living Translation, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. And in that day and today, people were seeing divorce too often as something that is natural. Well, you know, this is just a natural thing that happens. Jesus' point 
is because God, who is the most natural, natural, the most organic, organic, God has joined something together. So when you tear it apart, it's not natural. It's not the way it's supposed to be. There is no surgeon who amputates a limb who says, this was the way it was supposed to be. No, an amputation is the last resort for something that is not supposed to be. An amputation is never the first option or the second. It's it's not even the seventh or the eighth. It's the last option. And it's because divorce is an amputation that God says he hates divorce. Malachi 2.16, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. To to hate something is what? When you hate something, you want it eradicated. And God wants divorce eradicated. Why? Because he loves people. And he knows divorce tears that which he united apart. I had a front row seat at what it looks like to see a marriage torn apart. My kids did as well. My ex-wife did as well. Someone from the the last service, uh, I'm just going to say something, um, (laughs) texted in not a question but a thought and said, you should have talked more about your divorce. Here's the reason why I'm not talking more about my divorce is because it would do disrespect to the people involved uh, to talk about it that way in this context. So just so you know, that's why I'm not talking about it. Um, But my point is, divorce is not natural. It is absolutely unnatural, and God hates divorce. But if it's true that divorce is an amputation, then divorce is sometimes necessary for life. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. The issue of whether God's law allowed for divorce was actually a settled matter in Jesus' day. It's right there in Deuteronomy. Jesus' point here is that divorce was not God's original intent. But because of sin, there are times when divorce is sometimes necessary for for survival. Now, that being the case, under what grounds is divorce and marriage biblically justified? Just pause there for one second. Um, I need you to highlight something here. So, you you have a big ethical question. How do you answer it? There are big ethical questions in our world about relationships How do Christians answer it? You have to look and see what the Scriptures say, and you make your ethical decisions based upon what you have seen to be true from the Scriptures. You don't say, well, I feel this way. See, it is incumbent upon us as Christ ones who live under the Lordship and leadership of Christ to make decisions based on who we are in Christ and His revealed Word. Okay, so if we're going to, if you're going to, If you're going to go through a a process that is as horrible as divorce, you need to make sure this is in line with the Scriptures, okay? What are two ways you could, someone could biblically justify divorce? Well, we already talked about one, adultery. When your spouse has committed adultery against you, 
you can divorce and remarry, according to the Bible. Uh, a second uh, scenario would be des- desertion. If your spouse deserts you, you're free to divorce and remarry. You can look at that, up that verse from Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. Now, debate exists within the church regarding the specifics of these two, but they are the overarching biblical allowances for divorce. This is not to say that divorce is required in these situations. Not at all. Actually, the goal is reconciliation, forgiveness, the road back to a a healthy relationship. Divorce should always be a last resort. Two final thoughts before Q&A. One, it has been quite common throughout church history for people within the church to look down on people within the church who've been divorced. I, I have experienced that myself. And to this point, I'd like to remind you, it's debatable. But you could make the argument God is a divorcee. Uh, you'll see the verse on the screens, Jeremiah 3.8. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Interesting. Now, why did God give a certificate of divorce, as the Scriptures say, to Israel? Because of her adultery. Her adultery wasn't sexual, Israel being the, the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, but her adultery worshiping other gods. Of course, uh, a path was created back for union, but it was created not, It was created through the line of Judah, so it Israel and Judah, and the line of Judah created the lion of Judah, Jesus, and it was through there that reconciliation was possible. Think about this. Um, this is helpful, I think. Not even the God of perfect grace can force those who reject His grace to abide in union with Him. Not even the God of perfect grace can force those who reject His grace to abide in union with Him. Is there grace? Absolutely. If someone rejects grace, is it possible to stay in a relationship? No. Finally, what if you're here and you believe your divorce was not biblical? What if you're the guilty party? You're the adulterer or the deserter. My response is divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Uh, Case in point, David and Bathsheba. David, uh, the one whom the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. David committed, committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, then married her. All this far outside of the will of the will of God. God did, uh, did God banish David and Bathsheba from grace? No, he didn't. When David, uh, called by God, by the prophet, when David confessed and repented, God cleansed David from his unrighteousness, and out of that marriage was born King Solomon. Out of the line of King Solomon was born Jesus the Messiah. What does that mean other than God can redeem the worst situations for his redemptive purposes? If you were the adulterer or the deserter, I'd encourage you, to go on a journey of repentance, healing, and seek to make amends for your part in the breakdown of the marriage. Truth sets us free. Confessing your part in the breakdown will help bring freedom to you. If you refuse to to, uh, repent and confess, you're going to continue to remain in a form of bondage, and I don't want that for you. 
Much to think about. We're going to do some Q&A. I'm going to invite Pastor Shar on up. If you're new to Faith Covenant Church, we do Q&A quite a bit. I think this particular uh, message is worthy of some good questions. We always reserve the right to be wrong. If you write down a question, just hold it up, and one of the ushers will come and uh, grab your, come on now. Now we'll go there. Before you ask one, I just want to, I want to, do want to mention one thing regarding my situation that I think is good counsel. Um, so before, uh, when things began to be, to be troubled in that, my previous marriage, um, I already had people discipling me in my life. And so I, I had key mentors in my life who they were, they were just part of my life, do, you know, guiding me closer to Christ. So when this hit, I had a support system already, all right? I added to that uh, group of disciple makers, um, I, added, I added to that group some other people I respected in kind of a, a council around me, a council of, account, of uh, accountability, so that I, I didn't make uh, decisions based on my own feelings. So in the journey that was very, very hard, I had a community of people who were, who were uh, helping me make decisions in line with uh, Scripture. To the extent that when the board of ministry from our denomination, um, when I had to sit to them, with them and talk with them about it, uh, I actually had one of my mentors with me who could vouch for the fact that in that journey, I'd had a community of accountability around me helping me make decisions within the lines of Scripture. So if you're struggling, uh, first of all, everyone should have someone discipling them. If you're struggling, you need to have older, wiser, smarter people around you helping you make decisions. questions about you good all right there are two questions here about um, abuse would an, would an abusive marriage be grounds for divorce yes <laughs> uh, I, I would say the the, the first response and, and uh, sure I'd love for your uh, input on this I think the first response is to remove yourself from the proximity of the the abuser Okay, that doesn't mean a divorce right away. This means you need to know uh, this, this relationship goes no further um, uh, right now. We, I am creating boundaries because you've, be, you've become unhealthy physically and emotionally, and, and um, I'm not closing the door uh, to reconciliation, but until you get help, this, this relationship goes no further. And I would say you, I mean, if, this, if it was my uh, daughter or my son going through something like that, my first response is get out of that house right now, and we will create space and boundaries. And we will hope for some sort of miracle of God or reconciliation. But if not, this, this is, uh, I believe, unfaithfulness to the relationship, and I believe it is a form of desertion. You, you can live with someone who has deserted you. Uh, so, I don't know. Any thoughts? I would, I would agree. I think if you're not safe in your home, in your relationship, physically, emotionally, spiritually, or mentally, you're not, that's not a covenant relationship. That's mm. not, being safe is, is absolutely foundational to, 
being covenant. I agree yeah. with what you said. Yeah. Um, okay. Whoops, that's not the one I had. Um, here's an interesting one. If you're not married by a godly person, does that make your marriage a contract versus a covenant? It felt if you're not married by yeah. a pastor. If you're not married by a pastor. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, no. Um, I guess what I would say is no matter who married you, um, the, God's desire is that you would uh, submit your relationship to his lordship in the here and now and, f- and from this day forward. And so, in the same way, you know, uh, if, if a couple comes between, uh, before Pastor Shar or me in a marriage ceremony, um, we, do, we don't sprinkle magic, you know, magic dust over the relationship. It's, it's the heart of the couple in relationship to God that makes uh, that, that marriage holy. Um, we, as uh, shepherds of the local congregation, are going to be shepherding that particular wedding ceremony and premarital counseling, et cetera, toward uh, a Christ-honoring relationship. But you could have two people whose hearts are very far from God um, get married by a pastor. That doesn't mean that we don't suddenly make their hearts closer to God. I don't know. So you don't put magic dust on them? Nope, there's no magic dust. <laughs> Though I will say, I, I have a very strong feeling, uh, for those young people, um, I would really encourage you to, uh, if, when you get married, get married around friends and family, get married by a pastor, because it's a holy union, and you do so with the, the body of Christ, the, your, your um, church community. And so, um, don't, out of convenience, just rush off to the justice of the peace. All right. Um, here's one. Is it wrong to talk or talk with or encourage someone about divorcing their spouse if you know that the spouse is ab- abusive or unfaithful no i don't i don't if if the if if the spouse is abusive or unfaithful i think it you you get to speak the truth this relationship has become un, unhealthy and you need i would say so let's say someone came to me i would say um all right uh, this relationship clearly is not he- healthy right now. You both need to get help. Are you both willing to get help? No, uh, only one of us is willing to get help. Okay, so you go. Oh, I should also note in my journey, I had a Christian therapist guiding me through the journey as well. So one of the first steps is you should both go, I would say, to a Christian therapist who can help guide you on, on finding you know, health in the relationship. Um, if someone does, if one side refuses that, um, then it makes sense, like I said, to create those boundaries. You as a friend can counsel toward healthy boundaries, a counsel toward a healthy accountability system, be clear about what the Scriptures say, with the, the prayer and the hope, as Ryan talked about, that God, both people will submit to God's Lordship and the Spirit will bring healing. Does that help? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Let's... Stop there. Okay. All right. All right. Um, heavy stuff, but I think important things uh, to talk about because this, this, the Bible's not silent on this, and so uh, we get to talk about these things. 
We're going to have a meeting here in a few minutes, so I need to give you some counsel. Let's, before we do that, though, let, let's pray. And what I'd like to do is uh, everyone bow your heads. And if you're here and you're in a relationship that needs, you would like prayer for, uh, I'd like you to stand. Or if you want to find, stand in solidarity with someone who is in a relationship that's troubled, or maybe you're mourning uh, the loss of your marriage, uh, whatever it is, if all of our heads bowed, my head bowed, my eyes closed, uh, if you would be willing to stand, we'd love to pray for you as your church family. Be bold. Holy God, we recognize that we walk in a broken world and we are broken people and only you can bring restoration. So we submit these relationships, God. We submit the bruises and scars of our hearts, sometimes these even physical scars to our bodies, longing for healing and wholeness, longing for peace, longing for shalom. Holy God, we pray, God, that you would make hmm, I pray, God, that you would give each husband and wife here an attitude of surrender, the great freedom of saying, I need help. So that we are able to receive that which you want to give us. God, we come to you with open hands. Only you can bring restoration and healing. So we ask for restoration and healing. We ask for help. We know you are good, God. Help us trust that goodness in every decision we make. We pray we would make it under your lordship. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, a couple things before we go. If uh, prayer, folks, um, if, if you're here for prayer and can lead some people in prayer, we're going to have, let's put you at the corners over here um, because we're going to be getting ready for the meeting. So prayer, folks, can go over to the corners. Um, we are going to have a meeting. If you're able, we want to get to it quickly because I know you're hungry. <laughs> um, we're going to get to it in seven minutes. <laughs> and uh, if you need to run to the bathroom, you don't have to run, but go to the bathroom. Um, kids, let's see. Uh, you need to, if you didn't check in and get a ballot as a member, uh, you need to do so at the tables out in the lobby. Um, get your kids, and you can come back in with your kids. We'll have coloring tables in the back. And with that, I'll close in prayer. Why don't you stand? We're going to uh, pray together. Our clo-